Welcome to Foresight Friday Roundup, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor of Foresight Health. It is Friday, March 18th. I hope everyone enjoyed St. Patrick's Day responsibly. Talking about being responsible, this is National Patient Safety Awareness Week. In honor of that, today on the Roundup, we're going to talk about the new ECRI report out this week on the top 10 patient safety concerns for 2022 and the recent report from the CDC on maternal mortality rates in the U.S. To tell us how worried we should be are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Merchantson, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning, Dave? Very top of the morning to you, Dave. Being with you and Julie this fine day makes me feel like I found a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. (laughs) That's great. Julie, how are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I spent my week in Boston, which had a few gorgeous spring-ish days and felt a little more Irish than Seattle, so doing pretty well. That's great. Thank you. Now, before we talk about these new reports from ECRI and the CDC, let's talk about your St. Patrick's Day. Dave, did you celebrate in any way? Did you dye anything green like the Chicago River? I didn't dye anything green. I wore a bit of green. But to tell you the truth, I stay away from St. Patty's Day in Chicago. The most ominous calendar trifecta here is St. Patrick's Day falling on a Saturday with nice weather. The drinking starts in the wee hours in the morning and continues all day through the night. It's gross and a gross understatement to say that those conditions don't bring out the best in humanity. Yeah, I've I've seen a few things uh, in Chicago on St. Patrick's Day that I'd like to forget. Very true. (laughs) Thanks. Julie, did you wear anything green yesterday? Well, of course. I have a little Irish in me. And I actually have one sweater that I've had for years that is, I mean, well beyond its time. But I wear it every St. Patty's Day. It's sort of like my ugly shamrock sweater. Nice. Good tradition. Thank you. A few years ago, I took the uh, Ancestry DNA test and found out that I'm 25% Irish. Uh, I thought I was 100% Polish. So that gave me the excuse to switch to whiskey from vodka on special occasions like yesterday. Now that's seeing the glass is half full, right, Dave? That's exactly right. All right. Speaking of special occasions, like I said earlier, this week is National Patient Safety Awareness Week. In honor of that, ECRI released its annual list of the top 10 patient safety concerns in the U.S. I won't read the whole list, but the new number one caught my eye, and that was staffing shortages. We did an episode on staffing on February 25th, and we did an episode on patient safety on March 4th. It's almost as if we knew what we were doing. Dave, what's your reaction to staffing being number one on the list right now? And what are the risks on ECRI's list caught your attention and why? Know what we're doing. Dave, you're a Svengali. For those in the audience who don't know, Dave picks out our topics each week and has an eerie ability to put his finger on the exact pulse of this massive complex healthcare industry. Nobody, in my opinion, does it better. So, Dave, thank you for what you do. And as the time appropriate Irish blessing offers, may the road always rise up to greet you and may the wind always be at your back. But regarding the ECRI report, what struck me the most was that there was only one specific medical condition on their top 10 lists of patient safety risk, non-ventilator healthcare associated pneumonia coming in at number six. 
The other nine are system issues, including staffing challenges, caregiver mental health, racial disparities, cognitive biases, supply chain disruptions, and so on. These are tough problems, but they are ultimately solvable. Doubling down on current care models, however, won't get the job done. We need new thinking and new approaches, specifically on staffing. The way the ecosystem currently operates isn't working for either caregivers or consumers. For consumers, understaffing leads to long wait times, uneven access, and even denial of care. None of that's good. For caregivers, survey results suggest as many as one-third of clinicians will leave their current roles by 2024. That's just two years from now. So no amount of focus on recruitment, retention, bonus payments, and resilience training can address these levels of shortfall. As the poet Yates says in The Second Coming, things are falling apart and the center is not holding. So the first thing you do when you're in a ditch is to stop digging. We've been having the same discussions about performance improvement in healthcare for 40 years. And the industry keeps investing in the same high cost, centralized, disease-oriented, hierarchical, physician-centric approaches to healthcare service delivery. You know, enough is enough. More of the same approach will yield more of the same dismal results for both caregivers and consumers. It's time for fundamental, not incremental reforms so enable all caregivers to practice at the top of their license, fix the leaky pipes, let data flow where it needs to go transparently and in real time, kill the paternalism, empower all consumers to help manage their own health and healthcare needs, get rid of portalitis, make it easy for consumers to get the information and guidance they need through accessible omni-channel platforms so they can make better choices. Accept innovation, let technologies and new business models ease caregiver burden, increase convenience, improve service delivery, and drive better outcomes. Other industries have done this. If it can't get over itself, there's no reason healthcare can't do this as well. If healthcare, however, doesn't change, others will change it for them. That's what we're on the cusp of right now, Dave. Interesting observation about most of these risks being systematic issues. That's great. Julie, any comments or questions for Dave? Well, Dave, we have to do something in a stepwise process between now and the nirvana that you so wisely outlined there. So I'm steeped just from one of our companies in the nursing shortage and obviously workforce in general is an issue. Talk to me about what's happening today out there in hospitals. What are they doing to try to really retain their workforce? And is it working? Are there other things they could be doing instead, perhaps? I think hospitals feel like they're on the verge of being blockbustered, to tell you the truth. I gave the keynote speech at the orthopedics forum a couple of weeks ago. And on the one side, they've got private equity groups trying to roll up orthopedic practices and do all the things you can do to maximize revenues, build new ambulatory surgery centers, charge as much as you can for devices and so on. The worst of the old school. And then at the same time, you've got these new companies like Hinge and your company, Sword, Julie, that have massive valuations and are tackling musculoskeletal health and getting just terrific market reception. And I think the orthopods are afraid that these new consumer-friendly companies will ultimately control the channels as to who gets surgery and where they get it done and how much it costs. So I think from the hospital's perspective, you got to both compete in the, the present moment and with an eye on the future. So 
compete in healthcare, right care, right time, right place, right price, but then also think about how you are going to remain relevant in a world where preventing disease and promoting health are as important as as providing great healthcare services efficiently and affordably. In terms of what you do shorthand, when the dam is bursting, you put your finger in the dam. So I, I think a lot of these initiatives on recruiting, retention, resilience training, and so on are important, but they can't be the be-all and the end-all. I'm so tired of hearing this, is it a build or buy opportunity? Quite honestly, if you're not in the consumer business right now, you've got to go find partners who can help you get there. So it's a tough job, but we pay these people a lot of money to figure it out. So address the short-term needs as best as possible, but don't lose sight of the longer-term goals. Thanks, Dave. Now let's talk about the recent report from the CDC on maternal mortality in the U.S. That's one we didn't talk about when it came out last month, and maybe we should have. The CDC said the maternal mortality rate rose from 20.1 deaths per 100,000 live births in 2019 to 23.8 deaths per 100,000 live births in 2020. For non-Hispanic Black women, the jump was even more dramatic from 44 to 55.3 deaths for every 100,000 live births. Julie, what did the CDC numbers tell you about disparities in prenatal and maternal care and about prenatal and maternal care during the pandemic? And how is the market responding to the problem with new tools and solutions? So, Dave, I don't know if you looked at any of the statistics that talked about how the U.S. is doing compared to the rest of the world, but this is one of those places that is appalling. Commonwealth put a report out in 2020 that said that the 2018 U.S. maternal mortality rate was more than double the rates of the majority of other developed countries. So every number we're talking about today is materially worse than what's going on in the rest of the world. And here in the U.S., if you're over 40, these mortality rates have jumped over 43% from 2019. So the numbers are trending in all the wrong directions, but are still part of the trend. And of course, when you look at the numbers you just talked about with non-Hispanic Black increases just being so much greater than Hispanics, which are bad, and certainly numbers among whites. So it's really hard to swallow. So it's interesting, a National Center for Health Statistics spokesperson said that they really need to look at more data and do some studies to understand exactly how the pandemic might be connected to maternal health. But no, there are a few indicators in the data already today. The CDC put a study out in November that found that in Mississippi, there were higher mortality rates among women with COVID during pregnancy, none of whom had been fully vaccinated, of course, <laughs> compared with women of reproductive age who also had COVID. So, you know, little stats here and there. Clearly, there's been a major access issue. You know, we had canceled and changed maternal health appointments, prenatal visits, hospitals, enacting restrictions of who could be with a mother in the delivery room. And, you know, even the temporary closing of some birth-related services. So a lot of disruption there. And not surprisingly, home births rose almost 20% in 2020 to more than 45,000. So there's probably something going on there. And of course, data also points to elevated levels of depression and anxiety and all the behavioral health things that we talk about among pregnant women during the pandemic. So there are a lot of drivers to what could be happening here. But of course, CDC is going to do some more work. And Dave, there are, I mean, an explosion of innovations that have happened in women's health 
between new practice models like TIA or family support services, child support services that Clio facilitates that really, really help upcoming moms and moms and families manage better and more efficiently. Groups like Maven, uh, Progeny, really an increasing number of infertility companies. But if you listen to all that I just said, some of those models lend themselves more than others to working in the Medicaid and underserved. Few of those models have really gone down the road of trying to figure out how to engage with the Medicaid and underserved. And these are big problems. It's definitely a fixable problem, that's for sure. Dave, any comments or questions for Julie? Julie, I want to dig a little bit deeper on just that last little tantalizing tidbit that you threw our way. You know, the statistics on maternal mortality rates are absolutely damning, you know, particularly among black and brown women. But as bad as these numbers are, I'm wondering if they don't at the same time create an opportunity for entrepreneurs to target these disadvantaged groups for better culturally appropriate service offerings, particularly in prenatal care. The app Earth, I-R-T-H, comes to mind, maternal services for black and brown women without the B for bias. So I'm wondering, is there a silver lining here? And if so, what do we need to do to bring it out, you know, specifically for these groups that are on the receiving end of such bad care right now? Dave, great question. There's never been a time, I think, in our history when I've seen healthcare really focus on populations and specific people by gender, by race, by ethnicity. I mean, we're seeing practice models and benefit models focused on Asian populations now. Like we're really getting to some niche focus areas for a really good reason. And when I think about the population that we're talking about here, two things come to mind. One is Medicaid needs to engage and foundations and community health need to be in a place where they can really absorb and understand what is out there and available in the commercial markets. And both of those things have a lot to do with one another because we we can't be building and recreating the wheel as so often happens in solutions for this population. And we need these solutions to be paid for. So that's one really important bucket. The other though is what we've talked a lot about here which is healthcare is really starting to embrace how influencers and stars can have an impact on getting to specific types of people to let them know that solutions for them exist. And this is one of those places where you could absolutely see not only the need for, but the opportunity to help women and families understand what's available to them in some of these apps and in things that can really speak to them and their needs because they've been designed for them. And I think a number of the health equity issues are around the fact that we've been designing for the white people. And to know that something has been designed with you in mind, you know, it's just, it's very powerful. Yeah, all about trust. Thanks, Julie. That's great. When my wife delivered our third, we almost lost her and the baby. Thank God we were at an urban academic medical center that was prepared and knew how to handle these emergencies. Not everyone is so lucky. So we obviously need to change that. Excellent discussion as always. Now let's briefly talk about other big news that happened this week. Julie, are you going to break more news like you did last week with that tip about Aaron Martin going back to Amazon? Uh, Those are kind of once in a blue moon there, Dave. (laughs) And I'm off by about a day, but I'm sure we all saw that Ashish Jha is heading to the White House to replace Jeff Zients. 
And this to me is actually a pretty major signal that we're moving beyond the crisis, which is largely why Zions, who was a government veteran, was brought in. And this is now being handed to a public health expert who thinks very long-term, is an all-around data-driven guy who focuses on communications, you know, factual, clear, transparent communications. So while this, you know, might not have made national headlines in People Magazine, it's a pretty major shift. Yeah, no, he's been a calming presence on air for a couple of years now. That's great. Thank you. Dave, what other breaking news should we be talking about? Uh, she's a, just a great choice for this position. And Julie, I really like that observation that we're moving beyond the technocrats, problem solvers, not that Ashish isn't a good problem solver, but into real public health expertise in this role, just great thing. But for me, as COVID recedes, at least in the public's mind, I'm struck by how many of the old battles are resurfacing. Several states are focusing on hospital pricing, transparency, and affordability. California is even considering the creation of an Office of Healthcare Affordability. This comes as a new survey is out that finds half of cancer patients report medical debt, and more than a quarter of those exhaust almost all or most of their savings fighting the disease. You know, that just isn't right. Also, Citigroup became the first company to publicly state that they will cover travel costs for U.S. employees seeking abortions. Apple is evidently doing the same, but hasn't gone public yet. And finally, overdose deaths hit another record high with synthetic opioids like fentanyl being the main culprit. Politics and healthcare, as we come out of COVID, seem to be going together like crime and punishment. Everything old is new again. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Julie. That is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. You also can find a recording of this podcast and all our podcasts on the Healthcare Now Radio Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming services. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.